<laughs> Dear listener, this is not going well so far today. This is Dirt with Dermot and Paul. Uh, this week we're going down to the lovely county of Cork to uh, exhibitions in the Montanotti Hotel and the gardens and the sculpture exhibition that was there and talk a bit about how to garden on a slightly challenging slope and site. Cork is a city built on a hill and lots of people garden on a hill. And it's full of Cork people. Challenging slope. Are you calling them challenging? <laughs> no. Uh, well, we are talking about, you know, gardening in these kind of more difficult situations. Which Mind you, the Cork people we met gave Cork people a good or bad name because it goes against the stereotype. They're all brilliant. Yeah. And they did a great job on gardening in a difficult place. And we're going to tell you how, aren't we? Why was it a difficult place? It's very steep. It's very steep and it's very challenged to plant up slopes. And this was a mix of terraces and slopes. So terraces is when you make a space usable by carving out flat planes, uh, a series of flat planes, generally linked by uh, a series of steps. But this one also had slopes and they did a very good job. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll talk about that and... And oh, it was the perfect, it, it was an outdoor sculpture exhibition. It was the perfect place for it because the sun was setting, people were out clinking their champagne glasses and seven. The other thing we're going to briefly speak about are the robo trees that have been installed in the city centre by the council and going to gauge a bit of a reaction on that, I suppose. Yeah. Should there be robot trees or should there be trees? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, why are you so sensitive? I think I started off being in a good mood today, but you've put me in a... No, I went out last night and I'm terrible. And I didn't talk to Dermot for an hour over breakfast this morning, which, as I said, most people would be delighted with, and he was less thrilled. Well, it's just idea. if you're preparing a podcast, Aideen, and if you meet early to compare your notes, and when in the middle of the night you've sent notes to Paul, so did you read them? And he says, no. No, because no one reads their emails at 4am. But at half past eight when we were meeting and I said, and then he was reading and there was a chuckle or something. I said, it's great, isn't it? And he said, I'm not reading. (laughs) I was reading something else, which was equally interesting. But Um, nothing to do with this. No, well, it wasn't that. I mean, you sent one article that takes five minutes to read and it was great and very interesting. And we'll speak about it soon enough. Where did you go, Paul? I went out to the George and we were up on, just down the road here. I kind of I have visions of the night before because it was only a few hours ago that we were on the same road. <laughs> you had to walk up here. <laughs> well, what was the buzz like? Uh, it was great, yeah. It, it's weird being out in the city again because like people are emerging from all of this. And I haven't been out in Dublin City for nearly two years. So, yeah, it was cool. It was really cool. I would recommend. I would recommend for you. You need to loosen up a bit. <laughs> Dirt, a Go Loud original. I'm having the worst week ever. Oh. oh no, here we go again. Apologies in advance, everyone. I mean, how hard can it be to organise a garden festival in the middle of nowhere? Paul doesn't want to talk about this because he says nobody's interested. But, listeners, six months ago, we decided, I decided we would have a garden centre in Ballinskellix. And Ballinskellix is the most beautiful place. And in about nine days' time, 200 people will descend upon a field and they want to be entertained, educated, fed, watered and be able to go 
to the little boys' room. And there are none of these things uttered in the field in Balanskelex, so we have to set up a whole town, and it is driving me mental. How hard can it be? Very hard. Pretty hard, actually, I'd imagine. So tough. I believe you. He has a get get out of jail card because he didn't know that I was setting up this festival. If and I knew you were doing this, I would have told you from the minute you started it. This is a terrible idea. He wouldn't have I've done. I would have. He had. wouldn't. He would have had that smile. I would have said it, but you wouldn't have, have listened have, to me anyway. So he, I might as well have said it to the man on the moon. He would have gone <laughs> along with it, and he would have been great. So uh, pa- Paul has disappeared for the last few weeks, and it's called working. <laughs> There's been promises that he did this, did that, meet up and whatever. I have been brilliant. I have went above and beyond my role uh, as assistant uh, organiser of a whatever. It's like a wedding, but Assistant comedy chef to this Gordon Festival. And he has meal. been Gordon Ramsay. He's <laughs> <laughs> not wrong. So it's very hard to build a festival and hopefully by the time this is being listened to, the festival will be over and it will have gone well but we have to put on events around the festival and it's everything it's just everything and I went down to Balanskelligs alone last weekend and tried to get somewhere and what's really lovely is there's a very good feeling among the community and people are excited but they don't know quite what it is and we shall build it, and hopefully they shall come. Good. Could you sound any more upbeat about it? Good. Lucky you're not trying to sell any to anyone anymore. Come on. Well, no, a bit of energy, please. I, you see, I don't need the energy now because when this is heard, it will all be over. But you know, it's like parenting or giving birth. How hard can it be <laughs> compared to? building a garden festival it's you, hell you did not compare a festival to giving birth but we'll overlook that <laughs> it is hell organising things some people love hosting and love putting on parties I think it's the worst thing in the world trying to coordinate a million different people yep it's pretty awful I don't know whether Paul is sailing through it because nothing really goes in or affects him on a stress or emotional level you're kind of unflappable Paul aren't you yeah, well um, my theory for this is we just need lots and lots of hands and I refer to them whenever we speak about this as minions uh, minions are what the key to this festival will be minions and that's how we're going to keep it all running the minions though have gone back to university so they're not in that so that's the one thing you forget about when you organise you think there's lots of young people around working in Well when pop. you had your pre-festival uh, meetings about when you were going to host it with your co-festival founder uh, you would have discovered this <laughs> Who was my co-festival founder? Well, me I'm on the bloody poster <laughs> but I wasn't told about it until after <laughs> So Paul would have known that. Paul would have been the oracle of festival creation. It's yin to the yang, isn't it? You're calm. You're up to high dough. That's kind of how it works in any marriage. sleeping. (laughs) I've taken to watching (laughs) countless episodes of some desperate housewife of Beverly Hills thing. And they're always falling out. And because I don't sleep in the middle of the night and I just tear through episodes of these things just to try and knock me out. And these are shocking people. Which series are you on? Uh, them all in kind of <laughs> 72 hours. 
and they're all having fights. So I bring that when I wake up in the morning, I bring that to my working life, to my private life. And it's as if Paul is flinging glasses of Chardonnay over me or slapping me or... (laughs) We're having arguments in a stretch limo. Or, it's awful. You need to manifest, or what is the thing that people say? Well, your affirmations. No, I, need I a, will do a good job today. I need an intervention. <laughs> I need you two to get together at the stage, an intervention. Divine, ideally. <laughs> Run out to Dunn's. They have a fish counter. You can buy a, f- a trout or something and whack, whack you across the face. The place, yeah. <laughs> Not the type of intervention that I was hoping for. What's left that needs doing? We have to book speakers, we have to arrange flights, we have to arrange transport, have to get a marquee, have to arrange a portaloos, have to finish our work with Eventbrite, have to arrange a Mad Hatter's Ball, have to arrange lunches for 200 people, for three days, have to arrange coffees to greet people in the morning, have to arrange people to work, have to arrange to bag all the food, have to arrange a giant sculpture, have to do our get all our props. We haven't even thought about our props. Well, all these other things have actually been actioned. We just have to finish up and follow up on a few things. Uh-huh. It's not like none of this has happened. I think you're being a bit of a drama queen here. And it's actually all fallen into place in the last... We've had a meeting for the last two hours here in town about it all with a brilliant event organiser. If it wasn't for her, we'd be sitting in a field in Kerry without a tent, kind of hoping, holding umbrellas for everyone. So, you know, we're doing well. I mean, he is right. Yeah. You just need... Go on. I was going to say a nice glass of wine, but you don't drink, so <laughs> I, check I've that. kind of taken... With a drive to, to drink... <laughs> <laughs> I've slightly returned to drink, which does not help. And it only reaffirms that I don't want to drink. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a positive. But <laughs> have you any other advice or things I should be doing? It's really annoying when people say, what do you do to relax? I watch Desperate Housewives of... Oh, no, The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills well, at the moment. No, the real answer here should be we garden, you idiot. We, I garden. <laughs> Come on. Welcome to Dirt with Dermot and Paul. Come on now, that was your key, that was your cue and you missed it. I haven't gardened in about six weeks. I know, and you should see the state of it out the back. Uh, Your wife the other day said that you should enter the garden into Filthy Garden SOS. I have a new uh, series just about to start in the UK and I never watch what I do. So they've sent through the rough copy because we're doing the voiceovers and to check everything is horticulturally correct they asked me to watch it my wife is also a horticulturalist so I ask her to watch it she, you know, it's very good it's very, it's very it's very sweet you're a very nice team you're very good but we need those people in our garden <laughs> God she went off on one <laughs> she went off on one she thinks there's second world war soldiers living at the end of the garden the, the weeds are so bad and I say you're very bourgeois <laughs> Something in the water at the moment, isn't there? <laughs> oh, I, when will it be overriding? Listen, just like any good party, there's the bit beforehand where you freak the F out. Then the day arrives and you just have to get through it. And then you start having fun and then it's over. You're like, oh, thank God that's over. That was great. And I'm never doing that again. <laughs> when is it going to be over, Paul? 10th, 11th and 12th of September. 
it'd be great. How hard can it be? Dirt with Dermot Gavin and Paul Smith, a Go Loud original. So we spent a few days in Cork. We didn't. We spent an overnight in Cork and it was lovely. Stop lying. And I was given <laughs> a hotel suite, which is bigger than my house, and he was given a, a broom cupboard. Which is bigger than my house. <laughs> and True. we partied with the Lord Mayor of Cork and the hotel owners and lots of guests, and it felt like normal. Well, it was an event, a real-life event with real-life trombones and music. It was a tr- it was a jazz band. It's in a place called Montanotti. Have you heard of Montanotti? Yes. Where does the name Montanotti come from? I don't know. Paul? I need to Google this. It comes from a <laughs> battle, a Napoleonic battle, as does Tivoli. Ah. This is what we learned when we were down there, and I have no, never heard this before. Anyway, very beautiful part of Cork. It's an Italian name, and it's to do with Napoleon, and it's because people who won this battle wanted to appease him, so they named their places after Italian things to avoid taxes. There was something like that, but I didn't really listen to the full details because I think I only ever take in about 60% of what anyone is telling me, even if it's very interesting. So we were in this hotel, <laughs> which was beautifully appointed, on this hill, overlooking the River Lee. Cork, by Was it the river we were overlooking? Yeah, yeah, the harbour. So the you harbor. were looking into the harbour of Cork. Um, the port. The port, yeah, yeah. Really elevated site and a really challenging site. If it was a garden, most people would look at it and they would run and they would say, don't build your house here. It's a silly place to have a house. It was a garden that you would need ropes and, you know, like harness yourself into to go down. It would be a cliff face, you could call it. The first thing was it was built there because of the view. And the view was extraordinary. It was just so beautiful. A very real view over, as Paul said, the docks and the harbour and shipping containers and all that. And then further into the city and the hills beyond. And the evening that the sculpture exhibition was opened, God, it was just so glorious, wasn't it? It was astonishing. Yeah, summer's evening. We've had a few good days at the end of August and it was just brilliant. It was like being in a foreign country, yet we were in Cork. We were overlooking these really well-developed terrace gardens. So they got over the whole issue of the garden being ridiculously steep by putting in lots of steps and lots of terraces and levelling off areas of it. And one area they levelled into a really brilliantly done uh, I guess formal garden you could call it down at the very bottom of the yes and a terrace is a device that you use in garden design to make space usable we'd be mainly familiar with terrace from uh, terraces from uh, renaissance Italian gardens where it's level after level joined by steps often with water or sculpture along the way the most amazing terraces are the ones you find in Asia in the paddy fields and they obviously water in paddy fields has to white is grown in water not because it has to but because it's easier to grow it in water and I think for pests and diseases and they level it because water obviously only ever sits at a level and you see in the hillsides up in parts of Asia the most amazing levelling terraces uh, to create little paddy fields It is incredibly striking and if you ever see images of those paddy fields when the sun is rising or setting it's like glitter balls because of the, the sun hitting each terrace at a slightly different time and the reflections uh, that you get in the colours are really remarkable it does show it's like potato drills in Connemara where they would have divided and subdivided and subdivided fields where families were really trying to create it. you still see the furs of those potatoes so this is people having a massive effect on landscape these why is uh, it called paddy though? I, I can't remember I, I, it's absolutely nothing to do with Ireland 
It couldn't be any further from the tree. It's derived from the Malay word paddy, meaning rice plant. Oh, very good. Paddy spelled P-A-D-I. And it is striking because it shows that every millimetre is used for production and it must need to be used for production because it can't be easy the way they they farm um, there. But anyway, we're deviating a little bit. Only a bit. The terrace is a device used to create usable space in a comfortable space uh, on generally a sloped area. And if you have the ability to create a terrace, it generally means you benefit from wonderful views. In in Renaissance Italy, you know, people like to live the aristocracy, the people who are wealthy, the religious, the cardinals, whatever, generally wanted to live near the areas of uh, gossip, of power. So around Venice and around Rome and around Florence, they'd build a villa on a hill so they could look down and see what was happening in the city. And in this, using these devices, the villa would often be at the top of the hill and the terraces would lead up to the top. Sometimes it was the other way uh, around. And depending on how uh, important you were in the social structure uh, of the village, of the town or of society, you were allowed up you know, from a lower terrace to a slightly higher. And if you're really important, you got into the palace uh, and saw the garden from above. And it's all about control, isn't it? It's about control to make space usable, but it's also in those Italian terrace gardens, it's all about control of nature because they developed this thing called a parterre. What's a parterre? It's kind of like a way of dividing up a garden into kind of mini hedges and those divisions then you tend to plant into parterres. You often see them planted in one or two species. So lavender is one of the classic plants that goes into them. Catmint is another one. Usually you do block planting in parterres. So they're often very intricate designs. Celtic crosses and Celtic kind of knots are very often used in a knot garden is another word for a parterre. Yes, but in Renaissance gardens it would have been the blocks. They're very much squares. Boxes semper and so clipped box used to create intricate design infilled often with these lavenders or even bedding plants or even coloured gravel so Versailles in France would have been laid out with acres of covered gravel so it makes a pattern and from the palace you can look down and see this pattern and it is about order amongst chaos it and is lording it over everything and lording it over and if you're a young lad from the village you might be allowed in with your mates to one of the lower terraces where you could play games of football. If you were a Grand Duke or something like that, you'd be led in a ceremony right through the garden. The gardens were full of iconography, full of amazing plants, full of order, full of statues, um, full of animatronics in a way. There were little animals um, that would be made from metal but powered by water so there might be a flock of birds that you'd see chirping away on a tree and they'd appear to fly away as you go so it was all about entertainment but it was also using these terraces to show how important your family were building up your place in in society there were tables that were full of channels of water to cool the champagne there were ponds with battleships that would squirt water at each other which would you know tell the story of famous battles there were grottos um there was a lot of work with light and shadow 
And there were kind of amazing places. Italy now doesn't have the same sort of garden tradition as we in these islands have. And a lot of these gardens were let go woolly around the sides or to rack and ruin. But in the last 20 or 30 years, many of them have been restored. But we got this idea about terracing gardens from those sort of grand gardens of it. There would have been other types, you know, in the Alhambra, a Muslim, um, an Islamic-style garden, which would have been created in areas using terraces also. The patio garden would have come from the Mediterranean. That's another version of this. But generally, we take our lead, and that garden, I think, in Montanotti and Cork, took its lead from one of this Italian... And funny you say that, you're talking about, you know, there was lots of sculptures of animals and different things, and that was the very reason we were in Cork, was to actually see an entire exhibition all centred around sculptures from Irish artists uh, that was put on by, I think, the Kildare Gallery. The Kildare Gallery, who are based yeah. in Carton House, another grand mansion in, in, in Kildare, and they bring these sculptures on their holidays down to Cork for an event that lasts about six weeks. And it was all so beautiful, so pretty. So we were on one of these kind of football terraces, a terrace of lawns, and these sculptures were set out and they were a real mix. There were hares that were skiing and scuba diving and looking Holding through telescopes and all sorts of, yeah, and kind of the more abstract things, uh, but some really, really... Hoverflies and... Yeah, and dragonflies and mosquitoes and all those things that people like to make sculptures of. And, and the male form, the female form. It was great uh, just to be out in a garden on a summer's evening surrounded by people who were clearly enjoying themselves and to be talking art and creativity in a garden setting in Cork was heaven. I mean, it's no Positano, but Cork is pretty hilly. I'm sure there are lots of people around the country who live in similarly... Challenging? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you could live on the big hill in a village in Leash, for example. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) (laughs) So how can you channel this garden Italian Renaissance energy? Different levels are challenging to deal with in any garden, but they're also incredibly rewarding. And I think what you have to do is look for the potential, live with the space, see where the what the aspect is, where the sun is, different. all the things we go over when we start talking about uh, a garden design from scratch. But there are inventive ways. We did a, we both did a garden on the Dermot Bannon show down near the Curra in County Kildare. And they had an oppressively sloped garden. Sorry, what? In the Curra, the in flattest part of the country. At the edge of the Curra. At Garvin, in the one Garvin. part that there's a bloody hill in the Curra. <laughs> of course, Dermot Bannon wants to do a house there. <laughs> but it was great. It, it, it was great. It was a really it was, cool garden. Really yeah. cool people, really cool garden and really cool reinvention of a And we did it just before COVID and everything kicked in. And then during lockdown, the owner began to send us pictures and we put them up on the Instagram and it was incredible. But and it, the joy they got from it. Let's say what we did first, because this was all oh, yeah. about just creating a journey through this garden. So it was a sloping site. It was covered, I think, in grass. It was turfed over. Very difficult, very challenging to... And to put it into context, after. when you were at the top of the site, you were probably about three or four times higher than the roof of the house. So it was a very, very sloping site. And it didn't go back too far. It no, went back. it wasn't a very deep garden. So it was a lot to contend with. I remember that episode. Do you? Yeah, I do. Sorry. Oh, yeah. What, that, what happened? It was room to improve, yeah. wasn't it? And yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. We did a corniche, a zigzag pathway. Chicane. Z- a chicane in the Z shapes going up. So it's slope and then you turn, you slope, uh, you, you turn the other way, a gentle slope. And we planted the bank of the garden. Is it a chicane? 
Kind of. Well, no. no chicane is something different. Chicane is more when you turn back on yourself and go up and down the hill. Well, yeah. Isn't it? Sort right of though. about what you do, yeah. yeah. Well, um, it was a Corniche or a chicane. Or it actually kind of reminds me of uh, when I lived in Bangor. Again, Bangor Mountain is right behind uh, Bangor Town in North Wales. And up on that, there was lots of... All the big posh houses were built up on the hill for some reason. And all of those gardens had to have some form of path down to the door. And they were nearly always chicaned. And it took you bloody ages to walk to the front door. Because it's, you know... Well, for some reason, is the view and the idea of lording it over people. That's what posh people want to do. Okay. So this house was <laughs> built low and we created this pathway which zigzagged all the way up to an area that the family could relax in. And the whole slope was planted in shrubs and perennials and grasses. And we had about seven upright trees, magnolias. Yeah, um, pyramid-shaped magnolias, uh, particularly for some reason. Just for accents, weren't they? For uh, columnar accents along I think the way. so. And then the other thing you had in there were box balls, which you use and I use a lot um, as a structure in the wintertime because a lot of the planting was herbaceous, which means it'll die down in the wintertime. And while it'll give you nine months of joy when it's up between March and kind of October, November time, for the winter months it can be a bit bleak. So having structure with the evergreen balls of box and also with the um, the magnolias they'll lose their leaves but they will have a kind of a framework there over the winter and it looked joyous it really really did look good so different levels are challenging but often there will be an intriguing solution that becomes very rewarding and that leaves you thinking god i wouldn't want a flat garden because a garden like that is a journey you feel you've achieved something with appropriate plant planting, it can be a delight. And in this particular case, we offered the planting up to the house. So the planting didn't end up being flat on the ground because there were very few flat areas. So you offer it on a slope up to the windows. That was delight and they were a delight. Yeah, because you, you kind of tilt the planting, you know, you're actually kind of tilting it towards the house. So when you're looking out the back of the house, the first thing you see are these kind of tilted at whatever angle the hill is towards you of triangles of planting. It was really, really joyous. And again, you also pick plants that were suitable for there. So lavender was a big one because a slope and slight. I think it was south face and it was quite sunny anyway. And was, yeah. plants like that would do very, very well. You know, lavenders, things that didn't need a huge amount of water. Uh, again, it was picking plants suitable to the site and it just was nice. And weirdly enough, this is strange, isn't it? What is? The original design was designed for a garden in Cork, in Montanati, oh. that I had years ago designed. Client didn't do it. And when Dermot Bannon gave me a call, I said, Jesus, I think I've the very design that would be suitable. They sent me some photographs uh, from the programme. And I went to the first meeting, and they'd sent me just a few photocopied photographs. Went to the first meeting uh, with Dermot. Um, and he looked at me and he said, That's it. That's it. I only had to turn up on the last day because you did the work. Yeah, I had to bloody do the plans. <laughs> you were away in some place going at the end of a phone telling us where to do things, which is often how you garden via an iPad that gobbles up photographs and it's very easy to move a plant on an iPad with a directional arrow less so in real life <laughs> Maybe that's where you're going wrong with a festival Yes Gardening How hard can it be? Can you have Paul? <laughs> Dirt A Go Loud original I think in Cork recently didn't they introduce some controversial trees that aren't trees? They did, and they're not even not trees, they're electronic, they're machines. Robo-trees. Robot-trees, yeah, yeah. They have put in these 
what can only be described as monstrosities into one of the main thoroughfares in Cork City to replace, I think, what were there, i.e. trees. And the whole idea is these things will take in the dirty air, they will uh, clean it and they will release it as purified, brilliant air. And yeah, that's fantastic. However, the things cost €350,000. They need to be maintained, they need to use electricity, they need to do yab, yab, yab. They are big boxes of timber. They don't look particularly bad, but they don't look particularly great either. They're kind of inoffensive, I suppose. And all they are doing is the job of trees. And funny enough, nature did a great job a few billion years ago when it decided to create plants or 100 million years ago. Uh, You know, plants have done a really good job of taking in all this carbon dioxide, uh, cleansing the air, purifying the air and releasing it as oxygen, which we breathe. And why do we need a machine to do it that costs money when a plant, a tree, how much would a tree cost? I mean, a tree wouldn't cost you more than 20 quid if you get a big one. You can buy trees for as little as, you know, 50 cent if you get a tiny one. Would they would they do the job of that, that big robot? Yeah. Is, that, is the point of the robot the fact that you'd have to wait a long time for the tree to get to be a certain size? Yeah, to... but in councils and cities, you buy big trees. You don't put in tiny little trees because nobody wants to wait that long because the time the trees develop and mature, they have redesigned the streets because streets are always changed, particularly main streets in towns and cities. So they go and they get reasonably sized trees from the nurseries which have grown for 10, 15, maybe even 20 years, put them out there and they will do that job far better and far cheaper. Far cheaper? Is that a good word? Cheaper. I think it's a little bit more complex and nuanced the the story than that as things to do with technology and councils tend to be and I think the machines they've put in probably shouldn't be known as trees they're monitoring stations to let you know about how many particles of God knows what are in the air there's also a moss farm or a moss plantation Ooh, in you. them which helps store the carbon they're not made of wood, they're made of metal, but they are clad in wood. I think it's high technology. I would agree that it doesn't appear to me to be the best idea and money best spent. And I would have spent the money on trees to beautify the place and to give some character. Yeah, because they don't add much in terms of aesthetics. They're big, as you say, they're metal, but they're cladded in wood. So they're big cubes of kind of cladded timber in the middle of the road, whereas a couple of mature trees would add so much more in terms of shade. Number one, shade in a city is important. Shade anywhere is important. We have a few hot days and what is the first thing everyone does? They complain about how warm it is and they run into the shady spots in the place. That's true, because at that reception (laughs) just last week, there was a big bay tree on one of the terraces and we were all... Yeah, huddled under it like flies. of a, of a bay tree which uh, was wonderful in itself yeah. um, but what I did think was Cork is a very beautiful city and um, because it is on hillside and we had Patrick's Street and then Patrick's Hill I think it was looking up and it reminded me of that um, television program The Young Offenders full of character full of colour and I do believe that with what we've been through with COVID and the way people are changing their working habits and where they work from, more people will be able to live in towns and cities such as Cork and bring new life and maybe new fortune and new planting of trees. Real trees. Real trees to <laughs> cities like this. So being there filled me with some joy and optimism. I think the penny has dropped with me now about the robo trees because I I went inside the mind of a council and I thought about, oh, they're like, oh, roots, people tripping, compensation claims, 
maintain, tr- you know, trimming trees. They want a no maintenance. Like these robo trees can't there, outgrow their station. There is all of that. That's absolutely true. But the robo tree needs maintenance too and needs technology and will only last a certain amount of time. That I'm sure of. It's a temporary piece of, it's of a street furniture it's that, uh, and the funds from it came from a COVID-related budget that was available that they applied. And I think all of that is true. But trees will do the job. The proper tree in the proper place. So in the business, we would there's a category of planting of, of trees for planting known as street trees. You put the proper tree in and you don't get many issues and you get a lot of benefits. The classic one that you see all over parts of Griffith Avenue in Dublin and Chelsea in London is the plane tree. And the London plane. Yeah, the London plane is a brilliant tree because it is uh, one that's been around for a long time. It's adapted to growing in those environments. It doesn't mind growing in the horrible, sooty, slightly polluted air of cities. It's absolutely fine with that. Um, and it's quite a well-behaved tree and it can take a lot of pruning and everything it needs to. And the other thing, if often it's the case, they go to put in a new bus corridor, which they're doing at the moment in Dublin. And all of a sudden you'll see red ribbons tied to every tree and this massive protest locally as soon as anyone wants to cut down a tree all of a sudden people realise how important these things are how iconic these trees are in these avenues of parts of the city and how they really add a lot to the streetscape and to people's lives so they love them yeah it happened there was a huge thing in Sheffield in England yeah well Sheffield is a really green cool city it really is it's lovely yeah very leafy but other trees that are often used in places like New York ginkgos are used as street trees did you know that yeah, uh, Bristol uh, city centre oddly has them. Too. Not oddly, but it's kind of a newer one that they're using. Uh, but again, it's been around since the dinosaurs. Uh, it's a plant that has been around a hell of a long time, so it can cope with all of the crap that we are, as humans, producing and dumping out in the uh, streets. Hiroshima at the bomb landed on, I think, a ginkgo, which regenerated. What? Yeah. The yeah. only thing that came back, you know, after the atomic bomb, there was obviously... Feckall, this less than tree. feckall, yeah. and this tree, which had been around since the dinosaurs, kind of went, nah, I can figure this one out, you're all idiots, and up the go <laughs> tree went, and it regrew. It's quite a nice metaphor as well. It is. Yeah. It's very, very so. hopeful, except it's not the prettiest, it has the prettiest leaf, but it's not the prettiest shaped And they're male and female and uh, the females produce a fruit that when it fruits, there's one in the Chelsea Physic Garden in London and the smell is putrid. It is so vile. It's the most disgusting thing you will ever smell. It's like oh, everything you could just think about the most disgusting thing you could ever smell and multiply that by 10 and it's all over the tree for a week. But apart from that, there's nothing wrong with it. They use the male ones in landscaping because uh, they don't They don't produce that fruit. And <laughs> another good street tree for suburban areas, hornbeam. Yeah. Or many of the rones. And the, the, the hornbeams are often upright, which is good for if you're a double-decker bus, as you've pointed out. Because the other thing I kind of love, I don't love, I kind of detest it, but I also think it's very amusing, is when you're driving around parts of the suburbs of any city, but I happen to know south of Dublin quite well because I drive up that way and into usually town, the councils come along and often the service networks, so ESBs and the telephone people, and they will cut the trees to suit themselves. And very often they will cut like a U-shape out of the middle of a tree and leave the tree as if the tree is like a 
you know, a static thing that it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah, you can just cut a chunk out of the tree and let it go. And I always think it's hilarious. And I started at one point taking photographs of these when I first came back to Dublin because it's just criminal and also hilarious how they do it. And they think, oh, yeah, sure, that's grand now. We've cut a hole out of it. Literally, they could cut a hole in the middle of the tree for all they care, as long as the wire gets through it without touching anything. In Jellystone National Park. (laughs) (laughs) Jellystone. Get your facts right, man. In Jellystone National Park are one of these national parks they have a tree a sequoia dendron gigantic one of those giant redwoods uh-huh. that you can drive through oh I've seen pictures of that it's amazing looking it's amazing it it's not right there's so much wrong about it but it is a fact is that the one that Yogi Bear lives in yeah <laughs> I still have a VCR of Yogi Bear I should bring it in next week <laughs> Dirt with Dermot Gavin and Paul Smith a Go Loud original so I think we can both agree that we prefer trees over robotic trees. I certainly didn't like the idea of them. Okay. What about the Montanotti and the sculpture garden and all of that? That was all great, right? It was all great. The whole trip to Cork was really great. But we did so much that we can't fit it all in this podcast. So we're back again to Cork next week for re- really the real reason that we went to Cork. That was to meet Brian. Yeah, Brian McCarty, he runs Cork Rooftop Farm, which is an urban farm in the very middle of Cork city centre. And Paul and the boys have been very snotty about him and about what they've done. And I'm convinced that once he sees it, he'll change his mind. We'll also go into the real cost of fruit and veg and we'll do a little post-mortem. Paul hasn't been snotty about Brian. He's been snotty about the idea. I should clarify that. Yeah, thank you. So would you say the real cost of fruit and veg? Oh yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about the real cost of fruit and veg and I suppose elaborate on what that means and are we And he's not really much? been even snotty about the idea. Would you ever, like... He would agree that growing fruit and veg anywhere is good but I find this Brian story really inspirational and I kind of wanted to bring Paul there to convince him. Are you done? Yeah. And we'll also be, uh, well, the festival will have happened, so we can do a little bit. Yeah, at that stage, um, you'll have woken up to the fact that we are doing a festival and you might decide to help and uh, help organise it and line up some things. And so that'll be very interesting. I can't wait to hear that episode. Wow. (laughs) See you next week. See you next week.